Proverbs 10, starting at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The name of the righteous is used in blessings, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Whoever winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This man came to my attention this week. He's, uh, he's called Alex Jones, and he is an American who has a talk show, as I understand it, on the internet in American. And um, he came to prominence because he uh, rather infamously declared to the internet that the Sandy Hook Elementary School shootings in America were a hoax. Remember that awful massacre? This was 10 years ago this December, and 20 children died, and um, six adults were killed when a gunman stormed into their school in Connecticut. And this man went on his talk show and said, that's not real, that didn't really happen. All the crying parents, you know, they're actors, and this is some sort of government hoax to, designed to get gun control laws in. And a lot of people seemed to believe him. And he got quite a following on the, on the internet. And to the extent that the, the, the parents of the, um, of the dead and the families started getting threats and death threats and horrible mail saying, you know, you're, you are acting, you fake this, you, you're making it all up. I mean, can you imagine? It's, if it wasn't hard enough to lose a child in a shooting, you're now getting death threats because of it. But he, he came into the news this week, I saw, because uh, he's been hauled before a court and uh, the, the family's won the lawsuit and he's been ordered to pay $965 million in damages to the families for the words he's used. Which, to my mind, personally, feels about right. You, know, uh, you deserve to be broke, my friend, for the rest of your life and keep reimbursing the families for what they've done. Nearly a billion dollars. So I was reading a commentator who said, this guy is he's broke for the rest of his days now. It says in the Bible, in our, in our uh, Old Testament reading today, a chattering fool comes to ruin. So verse 8 and verse 10, that's the repeated phrase, a chattering fool comes to ruin. You might like to look down and see that in black and white in front of you. And because that's repeated twice in the space of four Proverbs, that's the title and indeed the burden of, of today's sermon. A chattering fool comes to ruin. And he's ruined himself financially because of the words he used. I want to show you that the, the words that you use, they have the power to bring life. And we'll see it's like a fountain of life if you use good words, positive healing words in the right place for people. Or you can also bring yourself to ruin just through what you say. So if that sounds relevant to you in your life, then... Let's dig in. Let's feel God's word for us today to explore why it is that a chattering fool comes to ruin. 
there's a tension built into today's text, in, just in the space of four proverbs, which um, acknowledges that you, you have to shut up sometimes. You can't be a chattering fool. On the other hand, you have to speak sometimes, and we need fountains of life to feed on. So we're going to explore that. Well, how do I know the difference? as uh, wisdom, and God is out to teach us wisdom. This is our last sermon in Proverbs today, and um, I've, I've had a feast on it personally. Um, I've been thrilled to see how it's the most practical book in the Bible. Have you noticed that? It addresses everything from work to wealth, from plowing to politics, from gray hair to gluttony. I mean, it, it really does, it has the widest remit in the whole Bible. But it has the most to say out of any topic about speech. Even in chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10, where we focused our sermons, 38% of chapter 10 is about speech and words. It's just a lot about words. And words is the most common theme in the whole of the book of Proverbs. And therein lies the difficulty, doesn't it? Words, they're, 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 really, hard to, they're really easy to say, but hard to get right. In your work life, you may know well the importance of choosing your words well with someone. If you, if you choose your words well with somebody in your employ, wow, it will go well with you. You know, they will be happy. They will flourish. If you choose your words badly, that will sour the whole atmosphere of the office, won't it? In your home life, you, know, you may know well the importance of words. Regular negativity in a home is like a black cloud, isn't it? It just sits over a house. But uh, good words are like sunshine. They can lift up a whole household. Or in your spiritual life, you know, you can, you can probably trace your growth, I would imagine, to somebody's words. Is there somebody in your life who spoke words of Christian truth to you at some point? And that, wow, praise God for that. If they hadn't spoken up, where would I be? So words, they're powerful, but they're, they're hard to get right. Look, four Proverbs today. Uh, let's just take each in turn. I want to show you uh, that a wise speaker, firstly, they know when to shut up. Secondly, they know how to walk. Thirdly, they know not to wink. And fourthly, they know when to gush. Okay? We'll just walk through each of those in turn. Shutting up, walking, winking, and gushing. I'll try and explain each one. Firstly, the first proverb tells us a, a wise speaker, they know when to shut up. As you see in verse 8, it says, the wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. So you've got to know when to shut up, right, and keep, keep shtum. Now, let me say in, immediately, God made you with a different temperament to somebody else, right? So there are some people who just, they love to talk, and that's kind of a gift to the rest of us, because I'm like more of the... The, 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 few, the few words end of the spectrum and um, I love to listen to people who are good at talking some people love to chatter and others on the other hand they naturally hold their peace Ooh, I'll just hold back and let somebody else talk you, you know which you are extroverts, you know, they love to spend an evening in a crowded room, oh fantastic, a drinks party for hours and hours, that's brilliant, I love that kind of thing, oh I'm buzzing and there's someone else in the corner going oh <laughs> can I go home yet you know? and you know which you are some people deliberately choose jobs where they get to talk all day. You know, that's, oh, brilliant, I just get to use my voice the whole day. This is fantastic. And other people can't think of anything worse, and they would rather sit in front of a screen or just get on with a job quietly and interact occasionally. But, the Lord says, you, whoever you are, you should avoid being a chattering fool who doesn't know when to shut up. Generally speaking, Proverbs would say, the problem with human speech is that we talk too much, not too little. To give you one tragic local example of this recently, I get the police reports for the area sent to me as the pastor, and there was one um, 
tragic one recently where they were talking about some of the, the youth violence that's happened really close to us, you know, particularly centred around Ducats Common in the last couple of years. And they said they've realised, the police, that um, often when there's a shooting or a stabbing, it's because something's been said online. And um, something, some insult's been dished out online, and then the, the, the opposing gang or the opposing individual, they can't let that lie. They think, oh, this, this offends me, this, this violates my honour, so I'm going to pick up my knife or my gun and I'm going to hurt you. And they've realised that's often behind it. You see, so words, online words, are often behind the most tragic things that are happening in our city. A chattering fool comes to ruin. Of course, having Jesus Christ as your Lord involves knowing when to accept his commands. Lord Jesus, you are the king and I'm not. I'm going to accept what you say. I'm not going to talk back. I'm not going to try and get my own way. Someone was telling me recently, very movingly, about one of their parents who has now gone to be with Jesus and they said they, they bequeathed to them that simple Christian song, Trust and Obey trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey Isn't that a beautiful legacy for a parent trust the Lord and obey Jesus Christ and look you and I we live in Jesus Christ's universe sometimes we're told what to do by those in God-given authority so sometimes you know a boss comes along and they say do this and you think I don't want to it doesn't seem the right thing to me but the Lord has put them in authority and 99% of the time the right thing to do is to say okay. Or you may, you may have the same situation with a parent um, especially while you're still young or with a police officer or someone in government and you think I can see 10 different ways I could do this better but they're in authority and the right thing to do is to be wise in heart and accept commands. So you see that's our first thing. A wise speaker they know when to shut up. Second proverb, I'm going to summarize this. A wise speaker knows how to walk. In verse 9, you see verse 9? It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. So it's kind of zooming out and seeing the whole of my speech and my whole of life and thinking, I want integrity. Integrity means to have an integrated life, right? Integrity, integrated. So what you see in private from me ought to be the same as what you get in public from me. That's, that's who I am. There's a, there's a oneness, an integratedness to me. So ideally, someone looks at a righteous Christian and they think, oh, well, I know what I'm going to get from you. I'm going to get kindness and honesty. I'm going to get rigor. I'm going to get wisdom. You know, that's the package. Crooked paths are tempting because you know, it seems tempting to take a shortcut, right? Oh, if I, if I just not quite honest about this little thing or if I just deceive ever so slightly that'll be a shortcut that'll get me what I want quicker and then I can grab it and, and run away and do what I want but it says that whoever takes crooked paths will be found out a person who takes crooked paths they're, you know, they're forever ducking and diving you know, trying to find the quickest way to their desired object trying to advantage themselves whereas a person with integrity knows what's right and wrong in life and they think well that's the way to that thing that's, that's the straight path of truth I'm going to take that and they walk on that. That's where you'll find them. Silly example. Um, Harry Potter, there's a, there's a character called Mundungus Fletcher. And he's kind of a bit part, he's a minor character, but he's forever taking crooked paths. He's basically a, a petty thief. And he's always pinching stuff. And he's, he's, in theory, he's on the good side. He's in the Order of the Phoenix, if that means anything to you. But, you know, he is always nicking things. And he gets found out. He's always taking crooked paths. And they're saying, we can't trust you, Mundungus Fletcher, because... You keep doing this. You've got no integrity. 
So don't be a Christian version of Mandungus Fletcher. You know, be a person of integrity, the Bible says. A wise speaker knows how to walk. Third thing, you ready? A wise speaker knows not to wink. You know, like, it, it says, don't do that for some reason. What's that mean? Well, verse 10, let's explore. Whoever winks maliciously causes grief and a chattering fool comes to ruin. What's wrong with winking? I think, looking back at, at my childhood in a, in a village in England, there were a couple of the very older generation who really didn't like winking. And at the time, that we, we were like, what? Um, but I think they were drawing on biblical themes, because there's a couple of verses in Proverbs which talk about this, where they saw in, in the act of winking something deceptive and malicious, and, and if you did it, they'd be cross. They'd, they'd sort of give you a little old-fashioned dressing down. Um, it seems culturally outdated now. I don't know of anyone in London today who would tell someone off for winking. But what it's getting at is this idea of malice. Do you see, whoever winks maliciously causes grief. So there's some kind of evil intent. You're, you're trying to get something in an underhand way. If you like, let me, let me prove it to you. Turn back a few pages. Chapter 6, verse 12. Proverbs 6, verse 12. It says a similar thing, but with a bit more context. Proverbs 6, verse 12. A troublemaker and a villain who goes about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously, you see, with his eye, signals with his feet, and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart, he always stirs up conflict. So you see the body language in place? It talks about you, your corrupt mouth, your, your winking with your eye, your signaling with your feet, and your motioning with your fingers, presumably like with a, with a crooked finger, come with me, you know, let's do some mischief together. That's what it's getting at. So it's, it's in the realm of body language. Lo and behold, Proverbs, this ancient book, it, it was totally alive to body language. It's this brilliant book about human interaction. So we're to think of other people when we make even small gestures with our body. Oh, you, you thought it was minute enough that your words matter, but it, apparently your eyelid matters, or your crooked finger, or the, the way you might signal with your feet. You know, that can be powerful, can't it? I, I suspect there'll be people in the world today who might start uh, an affair with a, a tilt of the head, with the use of their eyes, with the way they might beckon to somebody. You can do a lot with body language. You can cause ruin to all the people around you if you just make a few significant symbols and signals. And of course, in the Bible, you know how they put Jesus to grief? You know how they managed to crucify the author of life? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, I'll give you the money, you kiss him at the right moment and then we'll know who the right person is. It was not done with many words, but a lot of body language. So a wise person, they know not to wink, which means, I don't, personally, I don't mind if you wink. You know? I think in our culture, that just means I'm, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, did you get it? But you, you understand the importance of body language and what trouble that can do. And then fourth thing, fourth thing, and here the, it, it pivots because we've got to start under, you've got to start talking about how we start to speak. And I'm going to summarize it like this. Fourthly, a wise speaker knows when to gush. Verse 11. This is a sort of key change. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. A 
fountain of life. Being a wise speaker is not all about knowing when to shut your mouth. If I just say less, I'll be okay. Well, sometimes you need to open your mouth. You, you are the person who needs to speak and say this is wrong or this is absolutely right or there is a God, or, you know, something true in the world. You could be a fountain of life and you, know, you may know that. You can be a transformative, healing, life-empowering presence in somebody else's life because of what you say. In my own experience, I've figured out eventually that I'm, I'm kind of an internal processor. So I, what I, I like to do is kind of take on information, assimilate as much as possible, take as much time as I can possibly get, and then I'll try and say it as sort of succinctly and as sensibly as possible because I basically fear being shot down and told that I'm wrong. So I'd rather take as much time as possible. And there are many of you who are external processors. You know, say blah, 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 blah. You just talk it through, and, and actually I'm learning all the time from the way you talk things through, and, and you think that way, right? There's, there's all sorts of temperaments in the world again. But here, and particularly for me personally, I'm thinking, I've got to know when to turn on the tap. I've got to know when to speak. I need to say something here. I've got to know when to gush. There's a beautiful phrase in Proverbs 25:11. Don't worry about turning there now, but it, it talks about having the right word in the right place. It's apt. And it says this, uh, a, a ruling rightly given is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So it's getting you to imagine like a really finely made necklace, a really good jewelry when it's beautifully made. It's like, imagine a golden apple on a pendant with a fine silver chain. Someone has put hard work into that, someone's made that. And it's this beautiful bit of jewelry that took a, a master craftsperson. Well, if you can get the words right, right time, right place, right word, you're like a master craftsman, you're like a wordsmith. Oh. That is just the right thing to say. Thank you for speaking up. I wonder what the biggest fountain you can think of is. As I go through the various fountains of my life, I, uh, I think to myself of the various stately homes I might have visited and, the, and, and um, I've seen some fine fountains, I think, now that I try. But um, Trafalgar Square comes to my mind because there's four fountains there, I think, around Nelson's Column, and um, I think they do elaborate things with water, you know, sort of shoot water into the air during the summer months. They're pretty big, pretty grand as fountains go. And you may think to yourself, well, I, look, if being a speaker is about being a fountain of life, then I, I, I don't feel like Trafalgar Square Fountain. You know, I'm not, there's nothing grand about me. Don't, don't come and hear me talk. I know. I feel the same. Uh, and I think actually, in terms of Trafalgar Square fountains, that feels to me like Billy Graham, you know, or the Apostle Paul. Maybe you know, there are some people who are so gifted with speaking that millions of people come to speak to them and praise God. They are a fountain of life to the world. But then for every Trafalgar Square fountain, there are like a hundred smaller fountains, aren't they? Like there's, there's drinking fountains in your normal school, which are those um, rather you know, ordinary things, which when you, metal things, when you go up to them and you're thirsty, you press the button and it gives you this rather pathetic stream of water. They never seem to like, quite work like I want them to and the button's really hard to press. And have to, it's quite awkward because you, like, you have, it's difficult to drink from a water fountain. But my goodness, if I'm thirsty, if I need a drink, if it's a hot day or a drought, this fountain is wonderful. I'm so glad that someone put a drinking fountain here. And if you feel more like that, you know, well, I feel very good with words, I'm very eloquent, I can't fathom all Christian mysteries or ethics. You do have a tongue in your mouth, don't you? It says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You have the opportunity 
just to be healing and life-giving and truthful to the other people around you, to offer them a drink, as it were. Still today, one of the most powerful things someone said to me in a tough moment was very ordinary. I was panicking about something. This was years ago. I can't even really remember what it was. But um, they simply said, shall we pray? And for for a moment, I remembered there was a God in the world who was in control of everything and, and, and they led in a prayer. And I thought that is a fabulously simple fountain of life style thing to be able to say to somebody who's in inner stress. And you, you may know, you know the, the difference it makes to be able to um, point, remind people that there is a God, uh, point out the difference between basic right and wrong, or to be able to introduce the idea of grace, which is so central to the gospel. My goodness, those are like a fountain of life in a thirsty world. Of course, as a human race, we're particularly good at being like polluted, stopped up, stinky fountains, aren't we? Like God must look down from heaven and think, ugh, like what? I gave you a tongue to do loads of good and here you are just violence and ruin all around. I feel that myself. But the good news is he didn't stop there because he sent Jesus. So Jesus, you remember we said the title of today's sermon was A Chattering Fool Comes to Ruin and you think about Jesus. Was Jesus a chattering fool? No way, like, not a bit of it. Jesus absolutely knew when to stop speaking and he absolutely knew when to start speaking. Just let me give you the paradigm example, the best example, uh, the last 24 hours of his life. Because you remember, he goes on trial, if you know the story about Easter, he goes on trial before the high priest and, and Pilate and he's really select with his words. Like, he doesn't say much. He just says enough to enact the plan of salvation that will see him die for the sins of the world, but nothing else. So, Less than 24 hours later, he hangs on a cross and um, it's really hard to speak on a cross because apparently physiologically, it's just desperately difficult to get air into your lungs. You eventually die of suffocation because you're hanging on the nails um, and your lungs are collapsing all their weight onto you and you eventually can't breathe anymore. And the only way to speak is to pull yourself up on the nails (gasps) to get enough breath into your lungs (gasps) to say something. And when it was hardest to speak, when it was hardest to be a fountain of life, what do you find Jesus doing? Speaking. Seven, seven famous recorded things on the cross Jesus says, and that each one of them is life-empowering, it's transformative, it's giving, it's true. I mean, it's amazing just to read through them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Woman, here is your son. Here is your mother. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise to the thief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Expressing what's going on. I am thirsty. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. When it was easiest to speak, Jesus didn't speak. And when it was hardest to speak, Jesus did speak. He was like a fountain of life, even when he's being crucified for our sins. So here, you see, Jesus is the fountain of life from which we can all drink. So my friends, what's it going to be? Do you want to be a chattering fool or do you want to be a fountain of life? For some reason, we human beings above all creatures have been given the opportunity to say stuff. You have this thing, you have this ability to use language which it seems no other creature has to the same degree. Do you want to be a chattering fool or a fountain of life? Maybe, 
Maybe you love to have the last word. And you know in a discussion, argument, uh, you love to be the person who says the last thing. And there's usually a moment where the other person said something and then and you, you're often that person. Well, maybe, maybe you could be the wise in heart this week and you could let the other person have the last word. Maybe you're in the habit of interrupting, which is a small thing in a way, isn't it? But maybe today you could not interrupt somebody but bite your tongue and listen until they finish speaking. Maybe you could resolve never to waste an email. It occurred to me this week, I'd really, I, I complain about emails. I just think of them as this inconvenient thing which people keep sending to me and I wish there would be fewer emails in my life. But then on this sermon I've realized, goodness, every email is words. Every email an opportunity to, to, to do something good. You know, I, I, I might be able to be of benefit to other people with the things that I say. So maybe you could resolve, God, God willing, I'll never waste an email. I'll try and see it as an opportunity. Maybe you're not used to accepting commands. It doesn't sit well with you. But given that Jesus Christ is Lord and he governs the world, maybe this week someone in authority is going to tell you something to do. You're not immediately going to like it, but for Jesus, you could accept their command. Maybe um, you're going to spot something good that someone's doing and you're going to praise them for it. In my house, um, Sarah started off this daily tradition called the, uh, the what do we call it, Sarah? The, the golden marble. Well, uh, basically, someone gets a marble, a tiny award, if they have said the most encouraging thing that day. So at supper time, we sit down and we have a discussion, nominations, who said something encouraging today? And then you get this little award and 24 hours of glory. Um, we write your name on the fridge. Um, thank you for saying that encouraging thing. That's the idea of it all. Maybe you could praise somebody um, for saying something encouraging. Thank you for saying that thing. Maybe you could be a fountain of life by inviting somebody to church, you know, so they can experience Jesus and the healing words of Christ. Wow, what an amazing thing. We did a survey a couple of years back and we realized that the main people, the main reason people have joined St. Paul's is because they've been invited by somebody. Or maybe you could tell somebody about the beautiful name of Jesus. Even if they can't make it to this church or any church, they might know the name of Jesus because somebody told them how they're going to love hearing about that in the years to come how they might bless your name because you were the person who chose to speak when it was easiest to not speak the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence let's pray I'll give you a moment's quiet and you might like to silently pray to God and talk to him about what this means for your life. Our Lord God Almighty, the, the one who gave us tongues and language and, and word, we don't want to be a, a, one who uses their words to conceal violence, Father. We don't want to be one who just damages and cuts down people around us, around us every day. We'd love to be that ordinary drinking fountain, a fountain of life. I pray, we pray, Father, and I have in mind the hundreds of thousands of words that we'll utter this coming week. And I pray that you would use us for good, help us to be wise in heart, help us to know when to not say something, but to know when to gush and to say something life-giving. We pray for many opportunities to do that. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.